Welcome to Useful Idiots. Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm Katie Halper. I'm just copying everything you're doing. Yeah, I know. That's that's very elementary school. I, I like know. it, though. So we have a great show. We're going to be talking great to show. Ani DeFranco. Yes. Fellow Buffalonian. Yeah. Right? A fellow to you. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. I yeah. never lived in Buffalo. Yes, I did. I've never been there. You've never been to Buffalo? No. You should Why go. would I go? I, I think there's lots let's of reasons to, to go to Buffalo. Let's do a live show there. We, we should do, do a live, live show. show. Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are many reasons to go to Buffalo. A life well Although people tend many, not to find them. Yeah, but you yeah. could do, you, you, you should work for their tourism. Uh, yeah. What is it, chamber? Tourism kind of works in reverse with Buffalo. If you live in right. Buffalo, you tend to move to other places and right. then not come back. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it is a great city. The interview is very much in a certain zone, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a folk singer, very political, someone I listen to for a lot of my life. I thought that maybe it would be good to give back this this holiday season okay to give back to you give really? you the opportunity to share about your own life right which was very different which is very different i was not listening to, to you that, were not listening to Andy franco yeah um but she did mention some sports stuff she mentioned uh some basketball stuff uh which i didn't know the reference i didn't know oh, what well, she was, she was talking to. about the the nba uh con- right. controversy the nba's china yeah issue yeah yeah so she clearly follows sports yeah yeah, which I also do. I know. Yes. So, yeah, she's kind of like our, our in the Venn diagram. She's right. between us. Right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so since you know about me and my youth and uh, how much I listened to her music, I saw her at Clearwater, I saw her in Tanglewood in Massachusetts, I saw her at the Beacon, I saw her in, in at Toads, I think, in New Haven. So it's reparations time. Tell me about your, about your sports life. Well, I wasn't a kid. I mean, I, I guess I, I, was a, I was a kind of a jock as a Oh, kid. were you a jock as a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you play? Baseball and basketball. Which mainly. were you better at? Um, probably baseball, actually. Oh. Uh, but, but I did end up, I, I, I have played professional sports, believe it or not. And I played in, in Mongolia. On the MBA. In the MBA, the Mongolian Basketball Association. So when I was, um, when I was about 25 in Moscow, I was playing on the street in uh, Moscow State University, and I, we were playing against a Mongolian g- guy, and he told me they had a league uh, in Mongolia. And so I was working on a newspaper called the Moscow Times. I went in the next day and quit and got on the Trans-Siberian Railroad. And on the way to Mongolia, I met a guy who had a friend who worked for a team there called the... Uh, the Mountain Eagles, Altainburgid, they were called. Okay. And uh, so I got a tryout when I got to Mongolia. So I, I played in the Mongolian Basketball Association in 1996. So wait, you were just going on like out there on the on the hopes that you would be able to get into the onto the basketball team. Were totally. They, were they like really bad? Yes. And there are probably not a lot of people who are willing to travel there to play basketball. No, they, it's really funny. They had a they had a rule that on, every team could only have one foreigner on the team. Right, because if not, it would just be all foreigners. Or no, no. I was the only foreigner who came to Mongolia. Uh, okay, I mean, you, we we made like a hundred dollars a month. Right. I want to be clear, like it was living. Yeah, and uh, so I, I got a subsidized apartment that had like rats in it, and and uh, and a hundred dollars a month, the equivalent of that. What did your parents think? Um, my parents were, didn't have a whole lot of agency in this whole, okay. yeah, I was already gone by that point. Right, I was yeah. overseas. So I was just moving from one scary place to another. Okay, got it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I played in this, uh, and as, when I got to Mongolia, I found out, this is actually a funny story. The, 
the head of the Mongolian Stock Exchange had been um, studying it in Colombia in 1994. The country or the university? The university. Okay. And that was the year, I think it was the Knicks were playing the Rockets in the finals. Okay. And he was so in love with watching the NBA on TV that he, he recorded all the games and the the legend that I heard anyway was that he came back to Mongolia and they, they oh. broadcast all these tapes on Mongolian TV and they were such a hit that everybody suddenly switched to playing basketball. They, it's, it's, it's kind of a wrestling country. They're oh, really wrestling. big in wrestling. Oh, wrestling. Wow, I thought you were going to say soccer or football. So yeah. by the time I got there, there were, there were basketball hoops like in every courtyard. It's like Indiana, except really cold and Asian. Right. Yeah. Uh, were they like stocky basketball players because they had been naturally Yeah, Mongolians are for, pretty... Oh, I meant because the wrestling thing. Oh, yeah, a lot, a lot of sorry, wrestlers. Sorry, a little bit less. Oh, yeah. Gotta touch the woke button. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, safe space. Not terribly tall folk, I have yeah. to say. There, there, was only oh, one, yeah. there was only one super tall dude in the league. Um, and but he was a foot shorter than you. <laughs> no, he, he definitely was not. He was, he was a foot, short, foot taller than me, but... Um, but uh, people actually came to the games. There were like a you know thousand, fifteen hundred people per per game. So it was, were you a it, sensation? Um, I was known as the Mongolian Rodman. Yeah. So why why that? Just because you were because I couldn't Mongolian? shoot, and I, I at the time I was dyeing my hair different colors and getting in fights. The the, the, the owner was trying to start interest in the league, so we were doing shenanigans on the court. Right. Um, like what? Like starting fights, pulling people's shorts down during the game. I was going like to say, were you pulling people's shorts down? Were you pantsing them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That came it was into totally my like head. globetrotter stuff. Yeah. It, was, it was funny. So, yeah, that's my story. You couldn't story. shoot? I am not a good shooter. So, what no. are you good at? Uh, rebounding, which rebounding. is another Rodman. It's a Rodman thing. So, you're good at getting the ball. You are good at shooting, but not the primary shooter. No, no. I'm. I'm uh, the. When the ball goes, when somebody shoots the ball and it comes off the rim yeah. and somebody has to grab it, that's, that's oh, what just catching. Is. That's the cat. So rebounding is, is the catching. Yeah, that's the but you still can't throw it into the hoop once you do that. Not terribly well, no. So you're just good. It's basically you're tall. Uh, no, I'm not even that tall actually. Well, yeah. I mean, you're Compared naturally, to, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yes, like yeah. you have a natural. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, um, a, I'm a short basketball player whose only skill is rebounding. So that was that. It's not a great combination in America, but over there. Are you good at rebounding here or just there? I was you're actually the tallest. Right here, okay, yeah. so it isn't yeah. just a height thing. I was I, yeah. I was underestimating you. I yeah. was like, well, you're good at rebounding because you're the tallest yeah. person. Do there. not want to convey the impression that I'm particularly good at basketball. Yeah. But for for Mongolia, it, it worked. So. What's Mongolia like? What's the capital? Ulaanbaatar, which means a red hero. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What's it like, the country? Uh, it's awesome. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, uh, but it's a little weird. I mean, like it's a capital city where you walk down the streets and there's like livestock walking around and goats. You know, it, one of their big experts is cashmere, uh, the wool. Oh yeah. So there's, there's goats all over the place. Um, I know that. and right in the middle of the city, there are like yurt villages. So mm -hmm. you have like sort of concrete, uh, housing projects and, and, and then they'll have a, basically a closed off thing full of mud huts in the middle of the city, which is pretty weird. Uh, but wow. very, very nice people. Great, great city. Extremely cold. Any famous Mongolians? Famous Mongolians. Genghis Khan. I, saw, I just wanted to make sure. I was pretty yeah. sure that, was him, that he yeah. was Mongolian. There, uh, was, there was actually an expedition to look for his bones shortly before I got there. They wow. didn't think they ever found it, so... Yeah. But, uh, anyway, interesting experience. I feel, yeah. Thank, thank you for, for you know, yeah, of course. giving back. It's yeah. the least I could do. You, we have to have a Mongolian uh, basketball player on. We, we, should, we should do that. And we, then we should also have a, a, a show where you tell us about socialist summer camps. Oh, or, yeah, I will do that, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
do you have any um, any uh, like any uh, uniforms or any no like, no uniforms you know, souvenir, no souvenirs no. from that time? But it is funny how much I uh, how political I was, and uh, my you know my family did we did do Russian Ukrainian folk dancing. And they went to the Soviet Union, but by the time I was old enough to go, it, it hadn't it collapsed. Really? Yeah. Not because we're particularly Russian or Ukrainian. I mean, we're like Jews are kind of Jews, as you as you know. Like that's their net, that's their thing, their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just happens to be that these people we knew did Russian Ukrainian folk dancing here in the city. So okay. I did. Yeah. Are you, so you, are I got to get you, find video of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we have to see that. Yeah. Did did it for many many years. Is it is it is it something you'd be proud to show? I mean, when I was a little kid, it was I'd oh, be okay, proud to show because it was so cute. Okay. Um, but yeah, we have the World Peace Olympics uh, instead of like the, the color wars. Right. We have our bunks are named after like Harriet Tubman and Frank, which is a real exciting place to be. You definitely wow. want to. It, I just realized it's good. It's not. It's not like attic themed or anything. It's just a normal bunk. But I just realized that would be <laughs> the Anne uh, Frank bunk in the attic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Pablo Neruda. We have a Pablo Neruda bunk. We have the Paul Robeson Playhouse. Very interesting athlete, Is Paul Robeson. P- Patrice Lumumba? Or? We don't have a Lumumba uh, anything. In fact, we should. That's a good idea. Hmm. Um, the Roberto Clemente Sports Shack. He was very political. Great great hitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we'll have to do this more. The personal is political. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, holidays. What do you celebrate? What do you grow up celebrating? Christmas. Me too, actually. I'm really? a Christmas tree Jew, yeah. Really? My family, we celebrated uh, Passover. It's the only uh, Jewish holiday we really celebrate. Wow, you don't do... Uh, Chanukah? Hanukkah? Sukkot? Or, or Sukkot. That, I'm impressed you know that. Hmm. I liked it when I was a little kid. I, this is funny. I went to like a Jewish school, which didn't really make sense because I wasn't religious at all. Okay. Um, but I loved making challah. Uh, challah is and, great. Yeah. I just like saying it. Yeah, I know. It's great. Challah. And... Um, yeah, so Ani DeFranco is a folk singer. She's written a, a, two books. Her most recent book uh, is very good. It's a memoir. And she's very political, and I grew up uh, listening to her. She's probably the person who I've seen most in concert, her really? and the Magnetic Fields. Yeah. Wow. She is on tour right now, so you're going to want to get some tickets to go see her. And uh, it was kind of embarrassing because I kind of fan- you fangirled I a little did. bit. I did. It was more of a weird, it was just more of a blast from the past because, like... You pe- had the cartoon hearts coming out pretty, pretty hard did, at a couple, right? of, it was couple very, of spots yeah, there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was kind of ducking out of the way. I know. I felt very, I felt kind of embarrassed. I couldn't help it, though. Because it's embarrassing because I have every, no, like 60% of her songs I've memorized, probably. Which comes through in the interview it also. It does come through, yeah. yeah. We are so excited to we be are. talking to Ani. Annie or Annie, we'll get to that in a second. Annie Di Franco. Annie Di Franco. Um, Buffalo's finest. Buffalo's yeah. finest. Buffalo soldier. Me and um, Rick James. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and Ron Jaworski. A few mm. others, yeah. yeah. And um, abortion providing doctors. Oh. Other heroes. Yeah, I have a story about them. Oh, okay, yeah. You know. cool. <laughs> that, yeah. Um, but uh, thank you so uh, much for making time. We know that you're absolutely. on tour. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and can we just start off? Well, it's a little bit of an icebreaker, but let's talk about your name because this is something <laughs> that you mentioned in, in in the book in your yeah. in your really good memoirs, No Wa- No Walls and the Recurring Dream, um, which viewers and listeners can see right here. Um, the, the your name, which you didn't understand really the the origins of it or the meaning of it until you were in your 30s on tour in Italy. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, so my given name was Angela. And uh, my brother, who's two years older than me, you know, when they brought me home from the hospital, this is your sister Angela, Annie. So, boom, I was Annie, day yeah. one. You know, a little bit weird for the Americans to pronounce, you know, because everybody says Annie. And so it's a lifetime of correcting or not, just whatever. Call me whatever right. after a while. And then... So, and then my mother in, d- decided to spell it A-N-I. She's Canadian. So it, now it's, it's, it's journeying from its Italian <laughs> roots, this name. And I end up in Italy on tour, you know, in my 30s, as you say. And I realized what A-N-I means in Italian. Anuses. Anuses. Plural. plural. A-N-I, yeah. <laughs> as it were. Yeah. And, and, and all of these... You know, this is maybe my fourth or fifth tour in Italy, and so all of these memories are coming back of being on TV shows and being interviewed, and talk to us about your name. And then I tell my little story, and and the host will say something like, oh, it's um, very different, very different in America. So all that that time you you didn't know? (laughs) Nothing, nobody told me anything. Finally, one of uh, a sort of a friend I had made in Italy was like, by the way, <laughs> that's a sign of a real friend. It's like that's someone right. who tells you something in your teeth. teeth. Right. There Amen. you go. Something your, your name teeth, means butthole. Assholes in your name. Whatever. Yeah. Same right. thing. Yeah. So right. So that's why you were saying that, like in Italy, they say and they say it like yeah, and uh, yeah. Right. They would the try to say Annie. Right. And you spent your to life telling people, no, it's not Annie. Right, it's Annie. Right. And then you little do yeah. you know. So yeah, funny. you're correcting them. No, actually, it's <laughs> Anuses no, DeFranco. Please, please call me Anuses DeFranco. Yeah. Oh, and now of course there are. Many young women named after named A and I. I have met a bunch. Right. I've gotten photographs. I've watched them grow. You know, fans of mine who had daughters, That's and so, so there's a there's a good tribe of yeah. Anis out there. <laughs> Ani tribe, yeah. It's a similar thing in Spanish, where um, año is year, mm-hmm. um, and ano is ring or anus. Right. Um, Anillo is yeah. Anillo is, is uh, ring, but so when people who don't speak Spanish well can't do the nya, like they say yeah. espana instead of España or espanol yeah, instead of yeah. español, they'll say like cuántos anos tienes. They're saying you know how many anuses you have or <laughs> right. happy new anus or what a great anus yeah. that was. And uh, well, I anus. have several yeah. in case you're wondering. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, you lo- you don't look a day o- a day a- an anus over yeah. twenty. <laughs> anyway, oh, and that's a wrap. Names. Thank you yeah. for listening. So, yeah, tell us about what you're working on now. Um, you're so prolific. You have so many albums. You have so many projects. You have organizations. You have political causes. Um, you're on tour now. This book is amazing. Um, what, are you, what are you thinking about? What, what are, you, are you thinking about the political landscape? You're very outspoken. Are you trying not to think about it? Is it too depressing? Is it inspiring? Where are you with all of that? Mm. Well, as overwhelmed as the next guy, you know, for sure, with the political landscape business, um, but yeah, I uh, the thing I have coming out next is a uh, 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 record by uh, this sort of conglomeration we've come to call the Prison Music Project. Um, been working on it for five years or more, and finally it's mixed and mastered, and we're releasing it in May. It's a record of songs written by men in prison. Wow, M- many of them lifers. Um, and it's, it started with uh, my friend Zoe Bookbinder, who is a singer-songwriter. She lives in New Orleans. Um, and she sort of sought me out because she had been doing years of songwriting workshops 
in prisons, in New Folsom Prison in particular out in California, and she came to me with this body of material from the dudes, you wow. know, and she was like, check this out. Can we make it into a record? And um, How yeah, much of it was good? All of it. Mm-hmm. Just okay. amazing stuff. Raps, poems, fully fleshed songs. Some were... Um, pieces of writing that Zoe turned into songs. Uh, one of the pieces I took from a poem to a song myself. Um, and then we involved like lots of singers and players and producers. The, the record is really as diverse as the writers themselves. You know, it goes from hardcore hip hop to sort of punk rock to very gentle folk yeah. sounding. You know, it, it was a real challenge putting this record together, you know, and having it flow from this very different material to the next. And I, we interspersed some of the writers' voices, little snippets of, and hopefully, you know, our mean, our, our goal is just, should you listen to this record start to finish, I think at the end, the feeling that you come away with, I hope, is, wow, you relate. Mm-hmm you relate to the writers and you feel they're just like me, you right. know, um, because that is the truth of it, you know, and I think for those of us whose lives aren't personally impacted by mass incarceration, you know, if we don't have a loved one or a friend in prison, um, we just, it's easy to not really know what's happening, that we have two million people, you know, locked in cages, um, so in the United States, so... Yeah, so that's coming out in the spring, and we're gonna, you know, try to get what you know, get more dialogue flowing if yeah. we can with that project about. And how many artists are are on the record? Well, there's like 15 tracks. Okay. Um, there's one wonderful. He's uh, in his late 70s. Um, Ken, a writer uh, in New Folsom, um, again a life without parole. Um, prisoner and uh but he's an amazing songwriter Mm. so there's about three of his tunes on the record and so different people did any of them record from the prison well yeah we two of the pieces are recorded over the phone Wow. one of them uh was a fella who was out on parole for a time so we were able to get him into a recording studio to record well, his piece, he's unfortunately back in. Um, and the rest are sung uh, pretty much by women, which I, oh, I think is a really cool juxtaposition, you know, these hardened men with these, you know, hard journeys, and then these women's voices bringing them to life. Yeah. So it's men wrote the songs, but they're, they're women are singing Mostly women singing them. Okay. Except for the authors themselves. And then John Boutet, I don't know if you know him. He's a New Orleans singer, a wonderful, he did the Tremace yeah, quite theme right, right, song yeah. and whatnot. He has a wonderful long career. And so he is one of the singers. He's the only male singer oh, on the wow. record that's not one of the writers. So. And was that an intentional decision that you made or did it just camp? I mean, I think we were way. just enlisting. Yeah, John John is such a wonderful singer and spirit in right. New Orleans. And so we were just kind of roping in yeah. whoever we could to help oh, realize this project. Be, yeah. Princess Shaw is somebody I've been working with a lot in New Orleans. There's an incredible documentary about her on Netflix called Presenting Princess Shaw. Oh, okay. 
and she lives in New Orleans. She's a singer, and she's singing on one of the tracks, and all kinds wow. of singers. Yeah, great. I just interviewed for my other radio show that I have at WBAI and the podcast. Oh, I interviewed yeah. um, people in town for this Sunday. There is an event for Troy Davis's execute. You know, uh, it's the anniversary of his execution. There are all oh. these people who have been affected by the death penalty, including. Um, Yesterday, I spoke to the father of um, um, this, the young black teenager shot by that guy, Michael Dunn, for playing music, basically, loudly yeah. from his car. He just shot him. Mm. He, like, fired his gun to, into a car. And the father didn't want him subjected to the death penalty. Also, I spoke to the uncle of um, Oscar um, Grant, mm. who was killed in Bart at the Bart. Like, mm. on, anyway, oh, he was handcuffed. Uh -huh. And mm. anyway, just thinking of all the the way yeah. that people's lives are obviously impacted by incarceration yeah. in a way that you don't think about if you're not, but it's right. just so... Uh, nor the death penalty. Right. I don't think a lot of us really take the time to work through that in our heads and, and what it means. I wrote a little bit about it in my book. My manager uh, was involved in criminal defense work and anti-death penalty work, and so I met, you know, that sort of whole community of... Yeah lawyers who defend yeah. people and work against the death penalty and learned a lot about it, you yeah. know, um, and came to the feeling myself that death penalty is just an, an extension of violence. It's a continuation. Right. It's not a healing. It's yeah. not a closure of, it doesn't, even the victim's families and the most right. powerful, powerful, transcendent, um, uh, you know, way that you can deal in the aftermath of violence um, is, you know, reconciliation, of yeah. course, you know, these victims' families right. who there's an organization I met through Susan Sarandon oh, yeah. and Sister Helen Prejean. Yeah. Um, who wrote Dead Man Walking. Yeah. Yeah, Sister which, Helen, of course, has done this anti-death penalty work right. for decades and decades. And, um um, you know, I met a lot of people through them, you know, MVFR, Murder Victims, oh, yeah. Families Rennie, Rennie for Christian, Reconciliation. Right? He started it. He, he's someone whose right. father and brother were both killed, and he opposes the death penalty. He's mm -hmm. now an elected official in New Hampshire. We mm -hmm. should have him on the show. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, okay. yeah it's, it's, an, it's just, really amazing. It really is like these people show us how it's done. Yeah. You know, forgiveness, not forgetting. Yeah. You know, but uh, and healing, you know, that we have to we have to come closer together after an act of violence, which is just a, a manifestation of being a part of being separated, yeah. of being wrenched, of not understanding your connection to another, you know? And so to reconnect is to heal that wound and, yeah. and to provide, you know, the, both the perpetrators' families and the victims' right. families a way forward. We had... Um yeah, I mean, so many times people say, what would you do if it was your mother, your father? And then it's like you have people who were like, it was my mother, it was my father, my wife, my husband, and I don't want that to happen, the death penalty. Um, and we actually had, um, well, I, uh, Chase Boudin on, who just mm -hmm. won San Francisco DA's race. I don't know if you oh, know, but cool. he's very in involved in... Um, thanks to us. Thanks to us, <laughs> he won. It was a very thin margin of victory. Oh, wow. Um, 
he's uh, his parents were in the Weather Underground, uh-huh. and they were involved in a killing of someone. And they, uh, his mom is now a big activist with, and you know, works with Angela Davis on mm-hmm. restorative justice and reconciliation. Um, and also, I was thinking about this when I was rereading your book. Um, and your poem, Self-Evident, which mm-hmm. is about 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know about these people, um, uh, f- uh, Phyllis and um, Orlando Rodriguez. Their son was in the second tower, and he was killed. He left them a message, like, after mm-hmm. the first tower. Um, and they immediately started talking about not in our name, like, don't, don't, mm-hmm. not just Iraq. They're mm-hmm. like, don't invade Afghanistan in the name of our son. And they wrote a letter. The New York Times, of course, wouldn't publish it. Why right. would you publish that letter? Right. I mean, so, um, and she befriended the, what was it called, the 17th hijacker, um, mm-hmm. his mother, mm-hmm. like, and they do a lot of this work. Mm-hmm. With, and it's just an amazing story. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, make no mistake, there's a process of, you know, anger and yeah. that people have to go through. You know, but to stop there with anger and vengeance is to never break the cycle. Yeah, and not to mention, of course, how classist, racist, and innocent killing it is. Yeah. That's the other thing, is that yeah. even people who are, I mean, I'm against in principle, but some people who aren't, they just realize, like, maybe we should put a pause on this. Right, right. right. That's a, a, a very powerful uh, truth, is that even if you are not against the death penalty right. in principle, it's not perfect, innocent people right. are, are right. executed. I yeah. think most lawyers would tell you that the system is, is kind of a joke when it, when it comes down to, you know, effective counsel for right. the people who are, you know, and the, and the, the difference the in the biases. way that people are charged. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it's, you know, I think there, there are even people who I think in principle are in favor of the yeah, death penalty right. who just say this does, it's, super it's not working. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, and every time there's an exoneration, people think it's working, but it's not because there are all these people who have already been killed and they don't have the resources to put into looking to prove that they're innocent because oh. they're trying to save the Nor next person would they. on death oh, row. Oh, yeah. I that's, mean, sorry, I mean, yes. right, I mean the people who are in the, uh, fighting <laughs> yeah. for death row inmates. Yeah. It's like they've been the next case. They can't, yeah. they can't, like, pause what they're doing to prove that the last right. person was innocent. It's something right. so sordid and dark. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, even the yeah, – I, I work with an organization in New Orleans called the, the Innocence Project, yeah. and – you know, they're freeing people after dozens yeah. of years of wrongful uh, incarceration. Incar- yeah. And, um, you know, most of them, in order to walk free after losing much of their life to a wrongful, usually racist, classist sort of conviction, they have to sign saying, I did it. Oh, even you, though right. the DNA, even though it's now proven you didn't do it, they just. They don't want a lot anybody suing them, you uh, know, yeah. and they don't, and they just want to be off the hook, you right. know, the the prosecutors, you know. So it's yeah, it's, it's really sort it's of heart sickening. Really, yeah, it's really dark. Um, well, that's gr- a great project. Yeah. Um, and what about the electoral politics? Are you? Uh, I know you were fellow Bernie bro last time. Yeah. Um, are you? Are you backing anyone? This I mean, time? I've loved Bernie for as long as he's been in politics, you know, fighting the good fight, you know, um, often a one-man army up there in Vermont. Um, But I don't know. Honestly, I I don't watch any of the debates. I can't stomach any you of it watch, watch, uh, we do drinking games oh yeah, yeah 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 i could watch you yeah. drinking yeah. and watching the debate maybe in fact i, I tend to get all my yeah. news sort of third hand because it's so overwhelming and terrifying to yeah. me you know and you know somebody 
comes off as too strident or too shrill or too, or yeah. their lapel is crooked yeah. and suddenly, you know, there's all this judgment and all this uh, infighting and all. Right. And I, for me, it's just, I'm going to show up on voting day sure. and I'm going to do my duty. Yeah. Um, and I will be psyched about, you know, I think there's a lot of candidates yeah. to be excited about in the Democratic field and certainly just the you know, the actual <laughs> coming through of progressive thought and politics yeah. in the Democratic Party. Now, I hope that that is allowed to continue as it must in order for the Democratic Party to be relevant again, I right. think. Well, what do you think about the, there, there's been this explosion of kind of reaction to that, right? So we started to see stories that were leaked to the Times and the Washington Post, their Democratic donors are very upset. There's anxiety about the field, about, about, about Bernie. Spe- specifically Bernie and yeah. Warren, for the most part, that they're they're worried that, uh, you know, because Biden is an ineffective candidate. Now, Devil Patrick is in, Michael Bloomberg is in, there's all this money pouring into the campaign right. to try to prevent the per- sort of progressive politics from doing well. Um, did you, what, that what is you what I find terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the youth vote is going to yeah. decide this election. Exactly. And the youth are not interested in centric, centrist, wishy-washy, pseudo-Democrats, right. Republicans right. in Democrats' yeah. clothing. It's right. we. It's been proven, I feel like, so many times now. And um, in order for the Democratic Party to come back alive, to resuscitate itself, yeah. it has to respond to its base, which are younger and more progressive than all those worried people with the money. So. Right. If they disrupt the natural flow of the Democratic Party getting reclaimed by all the voters that we actually are vital, um, it Former will be east of Trump. it will know. be really bad for everybody. Yeah. I really hope that those moneyed, scared people can understand that it's it's not about them right. <laughs> anymore. You can curse, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. okay, good. And you're like, money scared people. Yeah. Had, all the words were going in my <laughs> yeah. head. And I was like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not uh, inspiring to see that at all. Um, and I actually remember, I just realized that one of the places I saw you was at, um, I think it was Madison Square Garden at a benefit for Ralph Nader uh-huh, years yeah. and years and years ago. Yeah. Why don't you just go ahead and turn off the sun? Because we never live long. Um, I remember Ben Harper was there and played the song Sexual Healing, and there was a very angry, strident woman in the audience who was like, who was a pro-Nader guy, and maybe she didn't like Ben Harper's music, or Marvin Gaye's, but she was like, we don't need a sexual healing, we need a political healing. It's like, I think you're, you're, you know, you're preaching to the choir. Right. We're all here for okay. literally a Ralph right. Nader concert. I don't <laughs> right. think you need to yell at Ben right. Harper unless you were trying to just change so the So you're getting the, the, the metaphor then. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. It was very, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that was a tricky one because I, I struggled with showing up for that that day because um, I understand that, unfortunately, we have to be very strategic right. with our vote. Um, voting your heart and your spleen is not always going to get the best results for the most amount of people, which I sort of see as my duty as a voter. Yeah. You know, to be responsible to the whole, that's what I think a vote signifies, sure. you know, is showing up for your society. So I was very afraid 
of you know the nader um you know the trifurcating of the vote and um ralph called me directly and said you know let's talk about this which i thought was very honorable and forthright and it made me decide, okay, I'm going to show up for this event and for you, yeah. but with a press release that oh, says, yeah. you know, I think that my priority is voting anti-Bush, mm-hmm. um, and and that is what I am promoting as a strategy. Um, so vote your heart until the primary, and then be strategic. And um, And he said he was cool with me coming with that... It's funny, though, because in retrospect, you know, the sort of reductionism of the media and, you know, nobody remembers that press release. So in retrospect, I've been asked many times Uh about being part of the spoiling of, you know. You're like, wait, I wasn't on the Supreme Court. I didn't vote to give the election to Bush. What are you talking about? But it is hard to, uh, you know, as we know, sort of have nuanced um, stances and opinions in a sort of a reductionist well, they've, Dialogue. they've even gone farther than they have previously about the rhetoric uh, going after people who support third-party candidates. I mean, after after the Jill Stein uh, mm-hmm. episode in 2016, you started to see this word in the press, neo-naderite. Um, you know, they were talking about anybody who would even think about taking a vote away from a Democrat for any reason. It's, you know, it's... It's not just a bad ideological choice, but you know, it's somehow worse, like a you know a foreign conspiracy right, yeah, or something. Yeah, so, yeah, you're so it's uh, with Putin yeah, all of a sudden, it's been it's, been, it's been it's a very scary yeah, yeah the atmosphere we, for that has, has gotten we do a lot of judging yeah. and it's just of not each good other. organizing. That's the other thing. Like yeah. if you really cared about winning, you don't shame, you don't vote shame, you right. don't vote or shame. Yeah, you like reach out to people who you think maybe could be moved, or if you think that people are lost causes and you just ignore them, like. I mean, I don't think you should do either of those things. I think we need to fight for everyone's vote. And if you really care about defeating Trump, that's obvious. And there's a lot of irony, I think, where people who claim to be the ones who are just care about defeating Trump and, and call people who are voting third party, like self-indulgent, purity politics people, there's a lot of projection. Because mm-hmm. if you really want to get this guy out of office, you don't alienate and shit on these people. Yeah. You try yeah, to truly, win. Yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if you vote idealistically more than strategically or one way it's so superior to not participating you know to not voting anyone who is voting is showing up and gets points you know all all the points they need in my book we have different opinions about how to use your vote and how to negotiate the circumstance we're in that's all legit I mean for me it's just about did you vote yeah and also making candidates why don't you know candidates are, are supposed to be inspiring people right we're not supposed to be shame it's not i mean it's not on people to vote it is but it isn't like it's not that's not the way the world is they you they have to make the the people vote as much as maybe we'd like to think of it as our civic duty like we have to look at what's happening when people don't vote Mm -hmm. ranging from like you know gerrymandering and incarceration and felony laws and right and you write about this all the time yeah um In, in that regard i mean you're from buffalo Obviously, there are a couple of districts in and around Buffalo that went for Trump. Um, some of them were sort of ex-union heavy areas. I mean, you're from the area. Can you do you know people who who have you know gone over to that kind of politics, or and can you speak to a little bit about what what maybe people in the region? Like your your uncle, who you talk about in uh, 
Cre- yeah, I don't Baby know. I don't know how they voted. Um, I'm sort of lucky in that most of my extended family that I'm connected with are pretty progressive people, mm-hmm. like startlingly. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to come up with anything right. on my own. I was taught. Yeah, yeah. I was given a lot of good information as a child. Um, you know, I mean, I, I did marry into a family now that uh, has a lot more Republican and conservative, a few Trump voters. So so now I'm getting that experience that uh, many white people in this country um, are having now, where there's great divisions in families. Thanksgiving is more complicated than ever. Um, I mean, for me, I really think it just comes down to racism. You know, I just think that if you are susceptible to racist messages, you can be swayed to voting very far against your own interests. I don't care what your job is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Trump is not looking out for it or you. Um, But I think that we still have this Achilles heel of racism and misogyny, you know, patriarchy. You know, these things run so deep um, that you just have to start poking in there and you can arouse that in people. So, you know, I just think it it shows us how much work we have to do on our soul in America. Yeah, it... um I do think that there's a, it's funny you say that susceptibility to racism, because I think one of the big debates we're, that's happening today is this debate about, you know, racism versus economic anxiety. But, you know, I was, I think about, like, the Holocaust, Weimar Germany, right? And most people agree that what was happening there made people that much more susceptible to Hitler's message, right? Like, it was the economic upheaval and the I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on, obviously. I, I'm not, I don't want to oversimplify yeah, punitive it. Punitive reparations. Punitive reparations, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah demand that like, Germany, you know, pay for everything. And I mean, I'm a Jew, so I'm not like, mm-hmm. I'm not light on Germans. Mm-hmm. But um, it wasn't, a, it probably You're wasn't a good adjacent. idea. <laughs> not a German adjacent, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think that if we want to make people, you know, that's why messaging from Sanders is so important, where he talks to people who are working class. And I think of that lyric about, what is it, the, the trico, um, you mm. say, I, I moved here from Buffalo, but that's nothing. The well, trico yeah. plant well, moved, moved to, to Mexico, Mexico, left my uncle. Oh, you're uh, good, you're yeah, good. Said, said here's your last paycheck. I haven't paycheck. sung that one in a while. Have yeah. fun growing old. Uh, yeah. Take me home. I'm, I could recite like all uh. your songs, yeah. <laughs> and I moved there from Buffalo, that's nothing. Trico plant moved to Mexico. Left my uncle stand out in the closet. Here's your last paycheck. Have fun growing old. Take me home. Is that real? Was your uncle really employed by them, or is that a kind um, of a metaf- uh, more of a metaphor? Not literally i mean a lot of that family not it's not literal yeah um, yeah but i do have family that worked in steel um for lackawanna or uh in erie pennsylvania and so that that wing of my family um um and then just everybody else in buffalo new york who worked at bethlehem uh steel you know, I yeah, just yeah. growing up in that era yeah. of doom, right, right. You know, economic doom, right. As you say, it, yeah. it fosters exactly <clears throat> right tribalism in right. people. And so, if we can speak to that and say, hey, I mean, I, one of the things I love about Sanders and what's scary about Trump is he says, 
I feel your pain. You should be angry. Blame Mexicans and Muslims. And, and, and Sanders says, I feel your pain. You should be angry. Don't blame Mexicans and Muslims. Blame inequality. Mm-hmm. Blame greed. You know, mm-hmm. and that's such an important thing to speak to those people. Right. Instead of just like writing and, them off. Right. Yeah. And connect ourselves. Yeah, with exactly. That. Right. right. We all know the game is rigged. Right. We all know it's very unfair. And exactly. We, who do you hold accountable? Who right, are you blaming? Exactly, that's right. all and that's, we have yes. to figure out. Right. It's like our understanding is is kindred yeah. in and, many yeah. ways. And there's this scary narrative that equates those two things. It's like, no, you want to speak to the people who are angry. The question is what you tell them to do with that anger, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you in Buffalo, if you go to those neighborhoods, when yeah. I, mean, I lived there where the, where the Bethlehem workers used to live, it's you can like buy the whole block at a city auction for a thousand dollars now like the houses are just hundreds of dollars they cost and it's like a ghost town and i think people who live who live in that area of course they're angry i mean that it's it's understandable but um just nobody's reaching out to them with any solutions that make sense feels like yeah yeah it's like the the guy way up there who moved all your jobs overseas is you know it's easier to point to the guy next to you who took your day to take the one job left and it's yeah yeah it's just education, yeah. really. And I think about your song, Not Angry Anymore, mm. um, which is about uh, it's about uh, uh, growing up. I don't want to seem like a stalker through your lyrics, but it's like growing up, it was just me and my mom against the world. All my sympathy, th- sympathies were with her. Yeah. Growing up, it was just me and my mom against the world. And all my sympathies were with her when I was a little girl. Now I've seen both my parents out the hands that they were dealt and as each year goes by no more about how my father must have felt i just want you to understand that i know all the fighting was for and i just want you to understand that i'm not angry anymore no i'm not angry anymore and and then the chorus is i just want you to understand that i'm that I know what all this fighting is for. I just want you to understand that I'm not angry anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, mm-hmm. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> um, and I think of that myself as like a way that, you know, there's so, I have so much anger and so many people who care about people do, but that there is this point where you want to like redirect it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I was younger growing up and I'm, you know, I'm a very like lefty radical feminist and I grew up on the, I'm like a stereotype, I grew up on the Upper West Side, went to a mm-hmm. socialist summer camp. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I could be very angry and dismissive of people who weren't already with me or mm-hmm. with us. Like if you're not for same sex marriage, you're a bigot, that's it, get out of here. And I've really changed a lot on that. I'm not like not for same sex marriage. I'm obviously but I'm more like, oh, I get that we need to actually reach out to people. And the anger can be very, like, it can feel great in the moment. But there is something there where we can, like, yeah. we can recruit other people and then I'll be angry against the right people together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of, sorry, my just head yeah. just went in a million yeah. directions. But, like, well, she's asking, is that, is that what the song is about? I mean, if yeah, or, right, or yeah. is there anything that, like, does that, the narrative of that song apply to politics at all for you? Sure. I think more and more. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I mean, you know, that song I've joked with my audiences over the years when I play that song live, Angry Anymore, um, you know, if they, they'll respond or something, you know, when I first hit that chorus, like, yes, yeah. yes, we're tr- doing this too. We're trying to shed the anger. And I'll joke with them, like, you don't think this song is true, do right. you? <laughs> you know, yeah. And it, 
it's one of those examples for me, um, which is not, it's just a subconscious, I think, motivating force for me when I'm writing to try to create, recreate the world, you know, that I'm living in, that I was given. And so that song is a really good example of something that I had to write and sing over and mm. over and over to make it true, yeah. you know? And you really can create. Like a mantra almost. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 yeah, like a mantra. And I, and I totally feel that more and more in a political, the political arena, you know? Now we are like deeper and deeper submersed in this cancel culture right. and this everyone's outraged out, yeah. about everything everyone else does all the time right. and we're kicking people off the planet left and right yeah. and it's like there's no way out of yeah. here that way you know so we do have to somehow reopen ourselves yeah. to each other and, and 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 you know and of course our families are great petri dishes for practicing right. this treating all of humanity like your family yeah, yeah it's it's hard stuff, and but I think it. We're in a very acute, desperate situation now, where the anger is just sort of drowning out every chance for dialogue and yeah. and um, joining forces and you know unifying and um, so. Yeah, I really do feel a stronger and stronger will to be less of that yeah. outraged, yeah. dismissive youth. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, I think the energy of youth and that outrage and yeah. that anger is very powerful and useful. But at some point in our evolution, we have to take a step back. Think yeah. And, yeah. Know, and, strategize. you know, and stop sort of, for me, flailing wildly between judging others and judging myself. Yeah, you suck. Right. I suck. You suck. Right. I suck. It's yeah. like, OK, <laughs> how about we're all just trying right. and we need to stay open to each other. Yeah. And it's not sell. It doesn't mean you're selling out. It doesn't mean you're like you know becoming conservative. If anything, it's just like making a, a bigger group of people who you can have fellowship with, and then all together be angry at the real bad guys together. You know, like just mm -hmm. redirect the anger mm -hmm. and um, the policies. You yeah, know? Right, even right, right, take of it off the people. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, I th I feel like. It. But this when I say people, I mean like the like the Trumps, right. not the like people on the ground, yeah. like little guys who are being seduced by him, who we can maybe yeah. reach, you know. But sorry, exactly. I got off your thing. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the truth is, if we don't find ways to reopen ourselves, reconnect ourselves, be available for dialogue, put down the anger for it, we're just gonna f float away. Yeah, the planet, the planet yeah. is gonna burn and flood. Yeah. If we can't find ways to come together as yeah. citizens. So, I mean, yeah, for me, it doesn't seem like, uh, uh, you know, becoming less edgy yeah, in my right. old age or some yeah, no, such. Right. For me, it feels like let's really look at this situation right. and what it means to continue our infighting as workers of the world, you right, know, yeah. or what it is going to take to unite against something that's very urgent. Right. Yeah. Speaking of not selling out, I mean, the, there's a really amazing story in your book about when you were going to, you were invited on uh, Letterman, I think it was, and you wanted to play Subdivision, Subdivision and, yeah. uh, and they didn't want to. And it, you, you basically drew a line in the sand and said it's out of that or nothing. First of all, most probably artists probably wouldn't make that decision, but... Can you talk about how difficult it is? Obviously, you're an artist who has a lot of 
politics associated with your your image, but how hard is it to do that in the modern sort of commercial construct? It's very difficult to market yourself uh, when people don't necessarily want certain kinds of political speech attached to your work. I mean, it's as hard as you decide it is. Mm -hmm. You know, when you were bringing up that, that, yeah, that was just sort of a story that I told about an example of how you have to be willing to make sacrifices. You know, some people sacrifice their lives for democracy, for justice, for... You know, I could sacrifice a little exposure, mm. a few album sales. You know, it. when are we going to step up with our own? You know, I mean, I, I was reminded when you were talking about the, you know, the basketball coach who said, I'm with the people fighting for democracy in China. And then all the, you know, the NBA profits. Wait. Oh, really? yeah. Yeah. Immediately. It's more important for us to make maximize profits in right. China selling merch than it is to support democracy for millions of people. And then everybody just sort of got on board with shutting that coach down. And unless we all make ourselves accountable in some way yeah. to um, our own democratic ideals, um, you know, if we are constantly putting self-serving profits over uh, justice for millions of people, for, you know, anybody other than ourselves, um, we can't change things, yeah. you know. So, gee whiz, I just, uh, I was, it was very disheartening to see how many people jumped on that coach and, 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 and players, you know, and people, you know, saying you have to think about what you're doing and from my perspective, he's the only one thinking about mm-hmm. what he's doing. All of you who say shut up because it's going to hit our pocketbook are that, thinking very small. It was amazing how fast the players basically got away with that. You know what I mean? There, there, was, there was a little bit of blowback when people like LeBron James and some of the other famous athletes basically said, you know, hey, you have to stop that. That hurts us in the pocketbook. And But it was maybe a day or two of you know, negative headlines, and then it was gone. And, it and, was and conversely, can you imagine if that coach had stuck to his guns and people had rallied around him and the NBA said, okay, then don't sell our merch. Imagine how that would have affected, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Chinese government. You know, if you could unify behind some basic principles if you can have a little bit of self-sacrifice um you can have powerful effects but china won dictatorship won yeah they could have had a huge effect because people in china love basketball they love watching it so So if if the nba could just stand up for a basic principle of democracy uh i bet the outcome would be very different Mm mm-hmm be a slam dunk slam and dunk and that's me dropping my, my uh, katie's scores. the punster i was about yeah. to say touchdown i was like yeah. no, no no that's not it right wrong sport yeah <laughs> that that's been funnier, actually. Know, yeah, yeah. um are there other stories that that you've ta- talked about in your book or haven't spoken about that you want to share about pressure to to conform or, or pressure to self-censor or say something not say something other things that you've struggled with because that is something you struggle with no matter how principled you are because you know, you may maybe about album sales, or maybe you're like, well, I want to reach this many more people with my message. So, do I cut it down a little bit here, not sing this song, but so they will be able to hear me sing, I don't know, um, to the teeth or whatever song mm-hmm. that has a political message. Um, you know, you do have to make calculations. So, how do you? 
Or do you? Or not, you don't. I, I guess. mean, I've been, uh, you know, I have the luxury of being cavalier about it, yeah. I guess, because the universe has held me, mm. you know, and my music and my career. So it's been a long time since I struggled mm-hmm. to make yeah. rent, you know. Sure. Um, and people's choices come from very different circumstances. And uh, so, but for me, I relish being an example of somebody who never watered it down mm-hmm. and and tried to be present in all those little moments of, you know. I mean, I think one time I was in Singapore and they said, you can't play promiscuity or any song with an F word in it. Right. or and, and I was like, well, I guess this is your country and that's yeah. your law. And yeah. I'm so, all right, yeah. I can play other songs tonight. Right. It just felt like... I agreed to come here, and yeah. I have to abide by your laws when I'm here. Getting arrested in Singapore would not. Yeah. So, but fun. mostly I just, yeah, no, if you're not willing or if you don't want me to be fully myself in my art, and in a, and then I won't avail myself of whatever right. opportunity, you know. Uh, and And so... You know, I like being an example of somebody who got away with yeah. being as radical as they right, are yeah. and never tried to play that game of, you know, well, if I watered it down here or this sure. way or that way or played along, I could expand my audience, blah, blah, blah. Because right. what, you know, what's the end goal? Yeah. The biggest audience or, you know, the truest life, you know. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, you guys. Mm -hmm. Thanks. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets, on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.